Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Raging Bull, Anthony Caruso. Good evening and welcome to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, TuneIn, Spotify and all good podcast sites. Yes, Anthony the Bull Caruso back with you once again and we are going to be jumping from all sports normally played in the warm to all sports played in in the icy cold. Yes, we are going to be talking ice hockey. Haven't done it in a while, so it's going to be good to get back on the ice rink to talk about the NHL. But, can't do this alone. We need the two best minds in Australia when it comes to ice hockey. Joining us, the Lord Mayor himself, the master of everything to do with ice hockey, Keith Sapolsky. Good evening to you. I'll certainly take that one as an introduction. I don't know whether I'm the master of all things hockey, but Thank you, Bull, and good evening to everyone listening, courtesy of the Triple H Global Network, as always, and there is an absolute stack to get through. Oh, there absolutely is. Now, given our partnership that we've had through the uh, through the last few years with the AIHL, you know, it's only fitting that we, we bring in one of our favourites uh, to join us. Of course, he is playing for the Sydney Ice Dogs. He's been playing in the, the lower leagues in the past over in the U.S., He's back with us on the show once again. Jeremy Vasquez, good evening to you. Good evening to you, Anthony, and good evening to you, Keith, and uh, good evening to everyone listening right now. Hey, just a very quick thing. First off, um, a bit of a change. I believe you've got your, during your studies, you're, you're working for a, a certain, well, some would say friend of ours. Keith, I don't know how we would describe him personally. Well, I, I just extend my condolences to, to poor Jeremy having to put up with him. Of course, he is working for our good mate Sam Lee, and uh, I think, Jeremy, it's been a bit of an experience for you, hasn't it? Oh, it's been a great experience. He's a great boss, if, you, if you're listening, Sam. Good. <laughs> <laughs> he wants the pay rise. He wants the pay rise. I'm just, I'm just impressed he hasn't, he hasn't convinced you to join the Bulldogs yet. <laughs> He's trying. He's trying. <laughs> won't work. I'm Tiger's boy forever. We, we, yeah, Keith, Keith won't let that happen either, would you? Uh, Wests or Tigers, though? West Tigers. Oh, yeah, okay. The new West Tigers. A fresh start. Yeah, okay, that's acceptable. You had a, a breakout season last year with the Sydney Ice Dogs. Encouraging performance and, oh, well, sorry, I should say a couple of years ago, given that last year was shut down virtually because of COVID. Rare you get back on the on the ice rink this year? Yeah, well, we were able to have those a uh, couple of exhibition games and I haven't really... I've taken a little break since then, but I'm looking forward to starting a new season, whatever kind of COVID restrictions they input to the season. But either way, I'm looking forward to get, getting back on the ice. Well, let's get straight into it. We're talking NHL. Now, Keith, we're going to talk through some of the major changes of the competition because this is a season unlike any other that we've seen for the NHL. And then in the second half, we'll go through the team changes. Yeah, we'll go through the major team changes because there have been a few, but the main thing is the realignment of the divisions. And there's no, there's no real conferences anymore. And you've got an Eastern, an East division, which is pretty much the old Metro division, apart from, uh, Columbus and Carolina swapping out for Buffalo and Boston. You've got a West division, which is sort of a mishmash of the Central and the Pacific with the three California sides, Vegas, Colorado, Arizona, St. Louis, Minnesota. 
Then you've got the mishmash in the middle, the central, which is a mix of everything. There's Florida, Tampa, Nashville, Carolina, Dallas, Chicago, Columbus and Detroit. And then the one that has got all hockey fans just salivating, carrying on like animals, just howling at the moon, begging for this to start because there will be nothing better than the North Division, which is Canada, basically. Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, Winnipeg, Edmonton, Calgary and Vancouver. And that is going to be brutal seeing this 10 is the, I think this is the people's battles of Alberta. This is the people's division, isn't it? This is the drug of the NHL. This is how you get your high. Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa, Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, Edmonton, Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, Calgary, Vancouver, and then you got poor old Winnipeg in the middle who are sort of forgotten through all this, but they're going to have a great old time facing up to Toronto and probably Winnipeg. Um, probably Edmonton, given the Winnipeg Jets 1.0 rivalry with the Oilers. Well, there will be no trip back to Winnipeg this time around. We're going to be getting straight into it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Splinters. We're going to kick things off here tonight. We're going to go through the the new divisions in particular. And, and Keith, a real challenge to get this realignment, given the challenges that we've got um, with COVID. They had a real problem trying to figure out exactly what was going to happen with the Central and the West because you've got the three California sides, then you've got Vegas and Arizona who operate on their time on their time frame. Uh, I should say Vegas, sorry, because Arizona, Colorado, St. Louis, Minnesota all operate on a different time zone. So Dallas is probably due to be in there, but then it sort of messes up the travel for either St. Louis or for Minnesota. So by moving Dallas across to the central and bringing both St. Louis and Minnesota into the west, it sort of eases up on that travel burden a little bit because California is a very long road trip. The east division wasn't too difficult to figure out. It was more trying to figure out who to leave out of the east division. And that is an absolutely brutal division, which we'll get into in the second half. And then north, well, obviously the border closure, non-essential travel not permitted between the US and Canada. So the Canadian division, that that's really what set this all up, was the border closure with Canada from the US and then the central division well that is just that that's all over the place you've got florida up to nashville out to dallas into detroit it it's just the frankenstein division of pretty much everybody that's left over and jeremy the given your experiences with having to travel from time to time for for playing ice hockey yeah this could this often could be an absolute burden because in the but in the past you could at least organize they would at least try and organize the draws so you would be able to go do you know trips and go do your a whole heap of away matches in one fell swoop. Do you think this is going to be easier for them, or do you think there's actually going to be considerable challenge with trying to meet these new divisions as a player? I think I think they're going to like it um, just because it's a little bit more rivalry in between like the closer teams and I mean there 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 is less travel but um I only see upsides for the hockey hockey side of the equation it's going to make it really fascinating 56 game season as well Keith but it's the and the top four going from each division into the playoffs that that's going to be the real thing and Jeremy's right with the rivalry because when you've got three games in a row against the same opponent on the same ice that's when the niggle really starts to kick in in games two and three. The first one you get away with and you just get it all out of your system and then you normally move on. Now you're going to be facing the same team in and out, in and out, over and over. And teams that don't particularly like each other, such as 
Ottawa and Toronto. I'm thinking and Edmonton, Calgary. And then, you've, of course, you've got your Pennsylvania rivalry, Philly and Pittsburgh, and your Rangers Islanders, and then Florida, Tampa, and the three-way battle of California. Those teams that really don't like each other, they are going to really create some intense, physical, dominating hockey that is really going to be entertaining to watch. I thought you were talking about the crowds. <laughs> nah, it's, no, it's, no, yeah, it's no crowds, obviously. No crowds, obviously, yeah. It's definitely going to get rough, Keith. I'll see. I, I think we, I, I think we'll see some, uh, some line brawls very often. Can we start? I want to start a sports bet market here and now. Who throws, the, who throws the first punch in the Battle of Alberta? Is it Matthew Kachuk or is it Zach Cassian? Ooh, I'd say Kachuk. He's going to throw the first. Mm, I'd say so, yeah. So Cassian obviously going to lay him out? Yeah. Well, we'll see some dirty play from Cassian from behind, no less. Uh, Yeah, he he took a couple of... Yeah, Matthew Kachuk is... uh, How would we describe him as far as someone who is... He gets under your skin... He's almost the Michael Ennis of ice hockey over there, Matthew Kachuk, and he decided to take a couple of shots at Zach Cassian before the season was before last season was suspended and he was able to get away with it because when Zach Cassian came for his revenge he sort of just shied away from it. But then he decided to try and man up and unfortunately for Kachuk Cassian decided to sit him on his backside almost immediately. So yeah, that one I am very much looking forward to that Battle of Alberta straight up. Would you would you would Kachuk be as much of a cat as Michael Ennis though? Like likes to get in, throw the first punch and then scurry behind his front rowers? Well, that's exactly what he did. The first time that Kachuk took a run at Cassian, he hit him twice, as Jeremy said, from behind. And that's a no-no. You don't hit guys from behind in hockey. You can hit them side on, you can hit them front on, be as brutal as you like, then stand over them and give it to them. But if you hit from behind, that is really nasty, and it's really dangerous as well. And then when Cassian decided to come and get his own back, Kachuk based... Kachuk did what is referred to as turtling and just held up his arms to try and cover up his head and make sure that he didn't sustain any punishment. And that was what really riled a lot of people up. And the attitude is, if you're going to throw hits, you're going to have to take them. And the expression, I think the most commonly used expression in hockey is you have to answer the bell. When someone wants to fight, after you've taken a run at them, you have to do that to show that you're going to play with some sort of integrity in the game. And Kachuk didn't do that the first time. Okay, second time he stood up and did it. But when the challenge was really on the first time, he didn't do it. So Kachuk has a bit of, a bit of learning to do, I suppose, is almost the best way to put it. Let's go to some of the uh, the changes to the competitions and on a more intricate nature. And uh, Jeremy, this is going to be an interesting one here. The offside rule changing now. Just so we can explain to everyone at home, starting this year, a, a player's skate will not have to be in contact with the blue line to be considered onside. Uh, for the for the listeners at home, what does that mean? Oh, that that'll be some close calls. Um, it's going to make it more interesting. We'll probably see a lot more goals. Um, Honestly, it's just positives for the for the fans watching at home, really. So basically, Keith, what this means is is if your skate is touching the blue line, you are considered onside, correct? It's pretty much the same rule as you've got in rugby league. If your foot is on the line and you're trying to get in goal, for example, if your foot is on the goal line, you're in goal. If your foot is above the goal line but in the air, you're not in goal. And that's what the offside rule is. If your skate is in the air, you're not considered to be onside with your foot 
outside the attacking zone. So in hockey, the offside rule is you cannot enter your offensive zone until the puck has gone into the zone first. When that happens, then you can enter the zone. If you're in the zone before the puck, you're deemed to be offside. So it's sort of a hybrid rule between rugby league and soccer, if you like, as an offside rule. By removing the requirement for the skate to be on the ice, okay, they remove that sort of difficulty from the game, but it's going to open a whole other Pandora's box of, okay, that's skating, we're on this angle, and this player's getting in front, and what's the likelihood here? Me, personally, I think it was a rule that did not have to be changed. I thought it was a good rule because it added a lot more clarity to the rule than what this change is going to do, and I think this is going to be all sorts of disaster almost on the scale of the Matt Duchesne offside rule that brought in video review. And if you ever get the chance, go back and look at that because that is one howler for the ages. And I just worry exactly what this rule change is going to bring. Now, what was interesting with this, uh, Jeremy, is that according to the NHL Hockey Operations Department, had this change been in effect last year, it would have led to 14 more goals. Now, is this because it's it, the potential is it's going to open up the flow of the attacks so of the team's trying to get on the offensive can pretty much just sprint to it without actually having to slow down to make sure they actually touch the blue line as they go through. Definitely, definitely. Um, it's going to open up a lot more creativity, a lot more speed going into the zone. And like I said, it's just positives for the people watching at home. They're going to see more goals and they're going to see a lot more creative um, play throughout the game. And um, I don't see anything wrong with this rule. And it also helps the coaches because they can – Hold one of those challenges for later in the game. Now let's go to the let's go to the next uh, one, Keith. The taxi squad roster. Now, as we know, with a lot of sports in America, they do have a salary cap. But these salary caps, unlike to what we're used to in Australia, there's something ridiculously big. Now the, the salary cap size. Okay, you, you look at it as an Australian and you think $81.5 million is absolute insanity, but you look at the money that gets poured into American sport and that's okay. The difficulty here is going to be with the concept of the taxi squad. In rugby league, you've got the New South Wales Cup and the Queensland Cup. In soccer, you've got NPL. In rugby union, <coughs> excuse me, you've got Shoot Shield. In AFL, you've got the VFL. In the NHL, they have the AHL, but... Most of the American Hockey League teams, which is reserve grade, are based in the United States. So there's a few teams in Canada. As a matter of fact, I think each of the three teams uh, in the old Pacific Division, Vancouver, Calgary and Edmonton, have their feeder teams in the United States. So there's only four AHL clubs that are based in Canada. The feeders for Winnipeg and the three East Canada teams. All the U.S. sides have their feeder teams in the U.S., so that's going to screw up the AHL something fierce. You can't call up players from the AHL because of the quarantine as a result for those three old Pacific Canadian teams. So you now have a taxi squad. It's going to be four to six players. They're going to move. They're going to play. They're going to train. They're going to be with the main squad, but they're not eligible for selection unless they get moved in and all that sort of thing, because there are roster moves. You can't just pick a squad and then say, he's playing reserves this week, he's going to play first grade this week. They have to play first grade or they don't play. You can't just drop them for a game to reserve grade for form reasons. This is going to be a really interesting situation to see who's prepared to pick players off waivers. What I mean by waivers is, if you're going to drop a player to the reserve squad, to the AHL, they have to be eligible to be picked up by another NHL club first. 
If no other NHL club wants them, they go down to the to the reserve grade, the minor league. With the taxi squads, because you've got the North Division, and they're going to have to quarantine to go into the States, and the States have to quarantine to go into Canada, who's going to get picked up off waivers this year? It's going to be a really interesting situation, and this is going to demonstrate exactly who the really smart GMs are who will be able to move those taxi squad players around, particularly with the flat cap. The salary cap normally goes up each year. It didn't go up this year, which is no surprise to anybody. So the really good GMs are going to have a job in front of them to find a way to balance everything out. And if they can make this work, then that could be the key to getting a Stanley Cup on the end of this season. This is going to open up so many avenues, especially, Jeremy, if a team goes on a on a major injury uh, run because you're going to have this challenge on who on who they're going to be actually allowed to bring up into the squad. Now, injuries, you can imagine, play, do always play a leading role with any sort of sport, and with NHL, that, that you would expect that to be the case. But normally, you'd just be able to call someone up, and their way you go from within the squad. If you have a bad run, all of a sudden, you're going to be you're going to be struggling to say, well, here's our taxi squad, but are they actually able to get over here ASAP? Well. Anthony, the GMs are just going to have to work for their money this season, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see who everyone picks up and how they manage the players. Um, but I don't know what else to say about the taxi squads. I mean, it's going to be definitely a less competitive game sometimes with people getting sick, so it'll be interesting to see. Well, you know, speaking of get people getting sick, let's get straight into the COVID pro- protocols because, Keith, this is – this is going to really clamp down. And if you thought, if we thought it was tough on some of the players in other codes in terms of going into a COVID bubble, boy, this, this is insanity. Some of this. Well, this is, this is almost as close to a genuine bubble as you're going to get. You've got obviously very long road trips. Toronto to Vancouver is a long road trip. It's the longest in the league this season. It's going to be done a few times by those two teams. When you're looking at the opportunities here to basically have players go out, it's not going to happen on the road. And that's the positive when you're traveling. It's almost as though you are going to be safer on the road than you are than playing at home. Because at home, you're going to live in your own house. You're going to still be around your own family. They're going to be exposed to other people. So that is going to be the benefit. You're pretty much guaranteed that if you're on the road, you're safe because Players are only permitted to go to the rink and to the hotel where all their meals are going to be served, only meals at the hotel. So they can't go out to a bar or restaurant or a retail store. That's really important because it limits the opportunities, obviously, to go out. The other thing is that hotels are going to be restricted to NHL only. So in Ottawa, there will be a National Hockey League exclusive hotel where all the other North Division teams can go. In Los Angeles or Anaheim, depending on where they want to put that one, I would assume that they'll use the one hotel for Ducks and Kings games. You want to go to Detroit, there will be a single hotel in the city of Detroit that is reserved for National Hockey League teams only. So that's going to be the benefit there. So the players won't feel as uh, encapsulated as they might by rink, kitchen or dining room and hotel room. They're going to have the run of the place which is a positive. The difficulty that they're going to have is they're only going to have their own room. 
So they're not going to have road roommates. And remember, these guys are very social creatures. And Jeremy, you'll be able to attest to this. When you're on a road trip, you develop those relationships with your teammates. And because the NHL is such a transient league where so many players change teams each year, that could be a real challenge to trying to build some sort of chemistry on the road. Yeah, it'll, it'll definitely affect the chemistry issues. And, and this is the thing. Like, it's not only chemistry uh, issues as well, Jeremy, but there's going to be some real mental health challenges that are going to come into these players. And certainly we saw it in the rugby league this year with the New Zealand Warriors being away from their families for extended periods. Um, how will they be able to cope with this? And what do you think they're going to have to resort to in order to keep their uh, their mental health in a positive frame of mind? Well, they're just going to have to stay as positive as they can. Um, they're going to have to find a little bit of motivation within themselves as well, you know, with no fans in the stands or limited fans, however they kind of do it this season. But, um, yeah, the bubble is definitely going to test them mentally and physically. One of the cool things I did see, Keith, in other sports, and, you know, you, you couldn't, you wouldn't go far off from, say, NHL players maybe doing this in the future. I bring you to the example from Formula One when the drivers during lockdown and even when they weren't doing anything during bubble, particular bubbles, would, went, would be going to Twitch and playing game, playing their game of choice against, um, against other people in virtual, in virtual matches. Um, you know, what possibility could there be in the future, maybe for some of these NHL players to give this a go? Uh, during the season, none, because they're all going to be focused on trying to figure out exactly how they're going to play their opponent. Video sessions are going to be a lot rarer because the NHL is trying to get teams to conduct meetings on a virtual basis, which for video coaching sessions is impossible. So you're going to have a lot more video coaching. You're going to have a lot more focus on being coached, you might see some fairly boring hockey as a result, but now that the coaches will have the opportunity to stop the players going out, I can just imagine someone like John Tortorella from Columbus just sucking all the fun out of what the game could be, and this is going to be a test for the coaches as well. How much pressure are they going to put on their players to stay focused as opposed to the normal situation where sometimes the players can leave, they'll blow off a little bit of steam, they'll just get out, clear their head, that sort of thing. No such option in this situation. So this is going to be a real mental challenge for the coaches as much as the players to try and keep themselves up. And at the same time, there's a lot of other things that have been introduced to make sure that players remain distant from others. Something interesting here, Jeremy, and something I, something I hadn't actually realised in, in terms of what's been done in the past, would now be the first time. There are now going to be ads on the NHL helmets this year. Now, we, we, we've seen examples already from a couple of the players from the New Jersey Devils, especially Yegor, Yegor Sharangovic, Sharangovic and Josh Jacob. Traditionally, helmets have been a no-go zone for ads. In fact, the, the uniforms generally are a no-go zone for ads. Why, the, why do you think the change this year? I think it's. I think they're just trying to get more ads out there, more money. You know, why not take it? It's purely a revenue thing. A lot of teams at the moment have been estimated as being able to charge five or six million dollars for the sponsorship, or get that money as an equivalent sponsorship from their rink uh, sponsors. So, for example, Ottawa plays at the Canadian Tire Centre. Um, your Montreal Canadiens play at the Bell Centre. Um, Boston plays at TD Gardens. Those companies, because they're not going to get as much exposure, have been asking for some of their money back. 
by putting their ads on their helmets, that will make up some of that revenue shortfall, and that means that when it comes to the salary cap and hockey-related revenue, anyone who's an NHL fan knows that the two most despised terms by, by players are hockey-related revenue and escrow, because the collective bargaining agreement they have, owners and players split the money 50-50. All hockey revenue is 50-50 down the line. So if players get paid more than 50% during the year, they have to pay that back, and that goes back through what's called escrow, which is basically a payment taken by the NHL out of their paychecks. So this is purely a revenue move, whether it's permanent or not. I'm really interested to see the impact because I think it's going to be minuscule at best for the teams that have gone for a minimalist design. For teams that have gone for a bit bulkier design like Pittsburgh, it's going to stand out a lot more. It'll be interesting to see exactly what sort of feedback those companies get and those teams get compared with the teams that use a sort of, I suppose you'd almost say, a more streamlined logo on their helmets to make them not quite as noticeable, which almost defeats the purpose. Well, this is the thing, because you know, for those who don't, don't follow ice hockey that much, there's, there's very minimal, if any, advertising actually shown on the jerseys themselves. They're starting with the helmets. So what chances in the future of this actually um, spreading along to the jerseys themselves? You're not going to see rugby league jerseys or European hockey jerseys with sponsors splashed across the front because the team logo has pride of place on the front. At the moment, the only two logos as far as non-club logos go are the NHL logo and the gear manufacturer. They're entitled to have their logo there because it's their physical product, not the Ottawa Senators product, the Reebok product, for example. I think Nike was covering off the Chicago Blackhawks at one point. I may be inaccurate on that. I know Adidas has done a lot of hockey gear in the past as well. They're entitled to have their logo there because it's their product that they're physically making. You're not going to get to a point where there's jer- where there's sponsors everywhere or jerseys specifically designed for sponsors, but it wouldn't surprise me if you start seeing sleeve sponsors or maybe uh, cut-off sponsors right at the bottom of the jersey because there is money to be made there, which is a good thing for any sporting organisation, but in the US more so than anywhere else, the jersey has been seen as sacrosanct when it comes to sponsorship. You can plaster all sorts of ads over the coverage, on the field, on the sideline, wherever, but the players themselves have been sacrosanct from sponsorship I think this is the season that ends, and you'll start to see it slowly leak in, but it's not going to be to the point of the NRL where jerseys are almost secondary to who's being sponsored. Well, not only that, but also the, the fact that sometimes they'll create uh, specific jerseys and some of those some of those businesses will want to be on specific jerseys then as well, and then all of a mm. sudden you've got a whole new um, ball game. I even remember, say, for example, when Sydney FC had two major sponsors, their home games used to be sponsored by Bing, their home game jersey used to be sponsored by Bing Lee, and the away jersey would be sponsored by Sony. Yeah, you're not going to get that. It's going to be very small. You're going to have to pay very close attention to see the sponsor logos. That's where I think $5 million is probably about right, given the sort of money that gets bandied around. As we said, it's an $81 million salary cap. So $5 million is probably right for the sponsorship at the moment. Of course, it's not going to be very visible. If it was a nice, big, visible sponsorship, then you'd be asking all sorts of insane amounts of money, particularly for the big market teams. But for the moment, I think that's about right, and it'll be interesting to see how it goes this season. 
Right, well, with that, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll have part two going through the major team changes. This is Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au, and available for download at podcasts.com, Apple Store, YouTube, Music, TuneIn, Spotify, and all good podcast sites. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM and streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube, Music, Spotify, TuneIn and all good podcast sites. Anthony the Bull Caruso, joined by the Lord Mayor um, Keith Topolsky and our special guest from the Sydney Ice Dogs, Jeremy Vasquez. We're going through the NHL preview for 2021. We've just gone over the... Uh, the, the major regulation and structural changes for the competition now going into the, uh, the nuts and bolts, the teams themselves. I'm going to start off with the East Division. Uh, Keith, of course, in the old days, this used to be the, um, the, the just the, the regular old Metropolitan Division, the one that you and I really couldn't give two hoots about because we all know the real actions in Canada. Yeah, I've got no doubt that that's the case, and more than a few people will probably try and pick a fine on that basis. But the East Division, with the exception of Boston and Buffalo replacing Carolina and Columbus, this really is the old Metro Division. Only problem is that Carolina and Columbus uh, leaving the scene probably means it's even more miserable for the likes of New Jersey to try and get in because Boston is a much bigger task than Carolina and or Columbus. So that is going to be the big challenge to see exactly who goes in because you look at the teams in the East Division, six of them have legitimate claims to say they could quite easily end up in the Final Four. Two of them aren't even going to make the playoffs, let alone get to what used to be the conference final. Well, let's go, let's go through them. We'll go in, in pretty quick succession. And Jeremy, an easy, uh, very quick one to start off with for Boston themselves. Craig Smith coming in for Tory uh, Krug and Zendo Chara moving, moving on. Oh, uh, yeah. did you hear what he said, Jeremy? He called him Zendo, not Zedano. What sort of hockey fan is he? <laughs> <laughs> Zedano Chara, the big man himself. Well, it's a, it's a sore loss, but, um, it opens up a D spot for an up and coming um, D man. So ups and downs for Boston, but overall good off season. They're going to have real problems on that blue line. Krug and Chara. Well, Chara's forty one, so he doesn't have as much to contribute as he used to. But Tory Krug, he was asking for seven million dollars, and that wasn't complete. In fact, I think that was pretty pretty under what he should have been paid. He ended up getting more when he moved out of Boston. So I think the fact that he ended up being let go by the Bruins, I think they're going to have some problems trying to replace that blue line presence for both Krug and Chara. And considering considering as well that you know the Bru- the Bruins ended up topping the the Eastern Conference, and it, unless I'm very much mistaken, they took the President's um, Trophy last season, but mm-hmm. then really just crashed and burned, didn't they? Well, you can't really hold the playoff system against them because everything changed with the pandemic and everything was sort of up in the air after that. It was a cluster, for lack of a better term. So you can't hold that against Boston, but, yeah, it's going to be tough for them. But Buffalo... How they got Taylor Hall, I'll never know. Buffalo is one of those teams that they, they were probably looking at trying to build this year, Jeremy, but now that they've moved into what is the old Metro division, they're probably sitting there crying, thinking, what did we do to deserve this? Well, they're still going to have a lot of young talents, so it'll be interesting to see what kind of um, creative players they whip up with the likes of Jack Eichel. 
that, that's exactly on. true, and um, sorry to cut you off there, but is there any reason to discuss New Jersey? They're going to run last in the East Division, aren't they? Yeah, we don't talk about New Jersey. Who? <laughs> Who? Sorry, sorry, Devils fans. <laughs> I, I'd be yeah. interested to get your take, Jeremy, on this one as I sort of take over for a minute, because this is the one I find really fascinating. And this was the pick that I was really proud that I got last year, because last season's season preview, I tipped the New York Islanders to make the conference final. Everybody laughed at me, and they were there and faced off to, against Tampa Bay. Yeah, fair enough, Tampa, Tampa wiped the floor with them, but they wiped the floor with pretty much everybody last year. And the Islanders are shout this year, given what they've lost with Devon Taves, Kunakel, Brassard, Thomas Grice going out. I, I see them doing the exact same thing, just running it back, and they have good coaching, and they have a, they have a good core with uh, Barzell. He's always showing out in every season, so lots of growth for this team in the future. Mm. Let's go to the New York Rangers because I'm gonna, I'm fascinated Ooh. by some of the movements here. So yeah, Jack, John- be good. Jack Johnson is coming in, but there's a whole line um, leaving them. Matt Bolesky leaving, Jesper Fast leaving, Lias Anderson leaving. But the big one for for mine, being a goalkeeper and seeing the uh, seeing the goaltenders as part of the key, Henrik Lundqvist gone. Yeah, but they've got two up and comers in Igor Shosturkin and Alexander Georgiev. So they had to let one of them go, and they weren't going to let the kids go. So they ended up having to buy out Henrik Lundqvist. Turned out they didn't have to buy him out after all because he needs heart surgery after he signed with the Washington. Capitals, so he's not going to appear for the Capitals this season. Um, but they've got two up-and-coming goaltenders, and as Jeremy says, they've got so much young talent coming through. They picked first in the draft. They've got Alexi Lafreniere. I, I find it difficult to say this, but I don't think they make the playoffs, but I'm very reluctant to commit to that because the next three teams, it, this could be anything. I, I disagree with you. I, I believe they're going to make the playoffs. <laughs> Just because they're my team, but also they look really oh, he's good. Backing the boys in. He's backing the boys they in. Have, they have two top picks and they have Panarin. So Panarin just came off a really good season. Uh, just before we move on, I want your thoughts on this, Jeremy. Who do you think Panarin will play with? Uh, sorry, who do you think uh, Lafreniere will play with? Will he play on that top line with Zibanejad, or will he get buried for a little bit? I think they might mix it up. Um, maybe try to get him with Kako or one of their other top forwards. I'm definitely seeing them kind of mix it up throughout the season to find the good combinations. Mm. But I think they have a promising couple of seasons ahead. Let's move on. A couple of uh, couple of very quick ones, but very certainly very significant because both these two teams were very competitive last year. Philadelphia, Eric Gustafsson is coming in along with Derek Poulot. And then for Pittsburgh, Cody Sessi has come in. Moving on, Patrick Malou, Justin Schultz, and Connor Sheary. Jeremy, help me out here. What what did Pittsburgh possibly see in signing Cody Cece? Too sure this might just be a little um, Hail Mary for them. It's got to be a deft move because as as a Senators fan, seeing him on the top pair just absolutely get crushed at five on five, it was painful to watch. And seeing him get moved out to Toronto was the sweetest trade I've ever seen made. Yeah, he he hasn't really shown much in the past couple of years, but maybe a little change of scenery will... um kind of help him out. And then we go through the team that uh, all of Keith Topolsky's mates really love to uh, reckon they can support, along with our good mate Matt Woodruff, who's actually a legitimate fan. The Washington Capitals, geez, I mean, they've run the cleanest through their squad. 
This is really surprising, but what they've done is they've brought in really good talent. Connor Sheary, I'm surprised that Pittsburgh were prepared to let Connor Sheary walk. I would have held on to him. Trevor Van Riemsdyk is certainly a useful player. Justin Schultz, very impressive. Zidane Chara goes in as well, so they've really bulked up their defence, probably to try and help out the fact that they were going to have Henrik Lundqvist backing. Uh, I want to get this right. Is it Ilya Samsonov, Jeremy, who's playing for the Caps at the moment? I believe so. Yeah. But no, yeah, it's think... kind of funny how they got rid of Holpe. Well, he he it's was going man. to be a problem trying to hold on to him with the expansion draft and who do you protect and who do you not and mm. who's going to play backup. And I don't think Holpe was too keen on playing backup in Washington, so it's probably not a bad move. But I, I would say that they, they're probably the favourites to win the East Division given how much they've bulked up that defence core with Schultz, Van Riemsdyk and Chara. So who goes with Washington then, if we're tipping Washington to be there? Not too sure there. Maybe, maybe... Well, he's already calling the Rangers. He's backing the boys in. Yeah, the Rangers definitely going in. I can see I can see Islanders going too, a couple of New Yorkers, and uh, maybe Pittsburgh or Buffalo will squeeze in there. But Washington will be competing against those three. I think you'll find Pittsburgh will go in with Washington. I think Philadelphia makes it as well. This is a big thing to say, but I think Boston missed the playoffs or they make it at the expense of the Rangers. I think the Islanders miss. I think Jersey and Buffalo can just start planning next season already, not this season. Boston or Rangers for that fourth spot. I'm leaning Boston at the moment simply for the experience, but it wouldn't surprise me if the Rangers fall over the line. We're going to jump over, Keith, because while we're over on the, well, sort of on the eastern side, we're going to go to the to the division, the one that didn't matter really to us, to the one that really does matter, and it is the North Division. Oh, I wanted to save it till last, but all right, let's get the fun now. We've got, we've got to get the fun now, because we, we know what's going to happen. We're going to run out of time if we're not careful. Let's <laughs> Absolutely we are. Yeah. So let's talk about the division that really matters. It's the North Division. We're going to start off. With the Calgary Flames. Oh, the Calgary Canucks, given how many Vancouver players they signed. You're not wrong there. And they've done it again this year, haven't they? Well, the two big signings that they've made are Jacob Markstrom and Chris Tanev. Tanev, a fixture in Vancouver for a long time. And Jacob Markstrom was their goaltender for the future Vancouver until they latched on to a few up-and-comers and they've been prepared to allow Jacob Markstrom to walk. For Calgary, TJ Brody's out, Travis Hamannick is out, which is really surprising because Calgary, oh, they haven't really made any big offensive moves and they've let a couple of really useful blue liners go. So uh, explain that thinking to me, Jeremy, because I don't see what Calgary's trying to aim at here. Yeah, it looks like another stagnant season for them, Keith. Mm. We then go to the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, you know, this is a team that they're trying to rebuild. They're trying to rebuild themselves. They're trying to make, really make something of it. They just don't quite seem to click. They, they missed the top four last year with, with a team that I think I remember rightly, Keith. You said that they were top, they were certainties for the top four. Well, they were going to the playoffs until we ran into the stoppage and then they got roped into the the elimination series best of five and all you need is a goalie to get hot for four games and you're out the door and that's what happened Chicago got hot and Edmonton walked out the door it was very unfair on Edmonton they should have been in the playoffs and Edmonton can feel aggrieved of course they had enough points 
but they decided to do it on points percentage, which meant that Dallas went to the playoffs while Edmonton had to wait. So that could have been Edmonton playing Tampa in the Stanley Cup final. What I love about Edmonton, I would have held on to Andreas Athanasiu. I can understand why they didn't, though, because they got Kyle Tourist coming in. Kyle Tourist is going to centre that third line. He was almost a first-line centre in Ottawa. Nashville, I thought it was a terrible move for Kyle Tourist. It was just a really bad place to send him by way of style. He's not the fast, flashy player. He's more of a workman-like player. Nashville needed fast and flashy, and he wasn't that. It was always going to end in tears. I like the fact that they've signed Tyson Barry for defense. That replaces Mike Green. Riley Sheen was sort of a a non-entity there for a while in Edmonton. I think this is a team that's ready to take a big step forward. My question, though, is what are they going to do in goal? Because they're coming back with the same tandem as last year. Miko Koskinen, he's okay, but Mike Smith, he's pushing 40 years of age, and that is a very dangerous thing to be running with with an okay goaltender and a 40-year-old as your 1B. I don't, I don't really follow Edmonton, so... Let's move. Along, along with pretty much all of America. Yeah, yeah, true. Let's move on to the Montreal Canadiens, a team that really only just scraped into the into the playoff qualifying round and then sprung the mother of all upsets when they knocked over Pittsburgh in the qualifying round and then gave Philadelphia an absolute fright in the first round. Um, they've brought in a couple of, I think, a couple of decent players. The one for mine that's moving out, Dale Weiss, well... He really hasn't done much for a number of years now. I don't know what to make of Montreal. Josh Anderson's a very good signing, but it came at the expense of Max Domi. Tyler Toffoli is very useful. Michael Froelich is a good depth player. Corey Perry, in this day and age, has a good bit of experience, but they they don't have that elite game-breaking talent anymore. Kerry Price isn't an elite game-breaker anymore as a as an elite-end goaltender. He's, he's a very good... With maybe some flashes there, thereabouts, but he, as you say, he stood on his head for that playoff uh, qualifier last year against Pittsburgh. I, I'm, I just don't know what to make of Montreal. Can, do you have any advice for me, Jeremy? Because everybody's talking Montreal up. I'm looking at them thinking I'm, I'm struggling to find a playoff spot for them. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a tough division. There's a lot of competition there, but it's going to be a tight squeeze for Montreal. My my issue with with seeing um, what's going on with Montreal is, as you said, Keith, it's that lack of an X factor. They had, Gal, they had they had Gal Chen, Chenyak given given it for a while. Well, he, he was a flop. He, uh, well, he was the first couple of years he was good, but then he just absolutely collapsed in a heap. Yeah, he was a flop because they didn't know how to use him. He was going here, there, and everywhere. They didn't use him properly, and then they ended up moving on from him. The problem that you've got. On the other side of the equation is you've got P.K. Subban who moved out at the same time. Shea Weber came in who made their blue line much more stable. It was much more useful defensive presence than P.K. And he's got a hard slap shot, but he's not an offensive-minded player. So the ability to score goals has really gone missing. And they need that elite goal scorer. Now, Nick Suzuki is coming along nicely, who was picked up in the Pacioretty-to-Vegas trade. But... Kotkin, Yemi, and Suzuki as your top two center options. I'm, I'm worried if I'm Montreal and that's your top two center option. Okay, maybe three years down the line when they've had time to mature, that's great. But Kotkin, Yemi's only, Kotkin, Yemi's still on his entry level deal. Nick Suzuki is going into his first full time year of NHL. That can't be your top line option. You, you just can't have it. 
yeah, they've got they've got their experience in all the wrong positions here at the moment, and I think it's going to be a tough year for them moving ahead. Let's go on to the Ottawa Senators, hey. and just like and just like with Washington, gee, they've run the cleaners through this lineup. Oh yeah, there's been some changes, but when you look at the changes, it's all in pursuit of one goal because. You run through the significant pickups. Matt Murray, Evgeny Dadanov from Florida, Galchenyuk, Braden Coburn, Cedric Paquette, Derek Stepan, Austin Watson, Eric Goodbranson, Josh Brown. Brown, Dadanov, and Murray are long-term building blocks. Brown on your bottom pair, Dadanov as a second-line scorer probably on a good team, and Matt Murray as your starting goaltender. All the other guys, if they have a good year, they're going to get flipped at the deadline for picks and prospects. So Ottawa will be able to continue building because those guys are not the sort of players that you build a long-term contender around. They're depth pieces that can be easily replaced. And in this market, when you're going to have a lot less options for the Canadian teams because that quarantine, players having to go into quarantine before they can start playing, you're going to be looking at picking the eyes out of teams that are not going to the playoffs if you're a Canadian team that is going to the playoffs, that you can pick up those players and start using them immediately. And I think Ottawa here, Pierre Dorian has done a masterful job. He might even flip Josh Brown, who knows? But with Dadanov and Murray, he's got building pieces for the longer term. The rest of them can all be flipped for picks and prospects. And given that Ottawa, I think, is the only Canadian team without real playoff aspirations, I think that's brilliant. But then here's the thing, Jeremy, is that you know they may not have playoff aspirations per se, that, that Keith has suggested, but they've got depth. They've got the ability to turn turn their squad into a really good one in the near future. Do they make their run next year, or is this a two- to three-year prospect for them? Well, it's a full makeover, and it's a step in the right direction. Uh, they've got a good goalie, and it looks like they're just trying to build around Brady Kachuk, build him a nice, good core. All they need is a few good pieces, and then they should be ready to rock and roll for the next couple of years. Tim Stutzel, the number three pick overall this this past draft will be starting the year with the team. So I think he's going to add quite a bit of an X factor there as well. Definitely. Let's go to the Toronto Maple Leafs and Keith, another, yeah, well, agree, agreement there between you and I for a change. Uh, A team that honestly, for the last couple of years, have actually promised a lot and they failed to deliver in a big way. They are the prototypical team, if you're looking to explain what's wrong with the new generation, I say as I hike my pants up to my armpits and wave my walking stick around. They're a team that's got plenty of speed, plenty of skill, plenty of youth, but they don't know how to play hard and tough at the business end of the season. They haven't been out of the first round. That's the biggest problem. The saying in Canada at the moment is there's three certainties in life, death, taxes, and Toronto going out in the first round of the playoffs. As it turned out last season, they didn't even make the first round of the playoffs because Columbus knocked them out before that. They need to find a way to really infuse some leadership, some maturity, some toughness in the group. The best way to do that was to keep Mike Babcock as coach. Last season, they got rid of him, put in the coach that all the players wanted, and they went to the playoffs, and they, they were really disappointing. Okay, you've got Wayne Simmons. You've got Zach Bogosian. You've got Joe Thornton going in, which is a big pickup for them. But at the same time, okay, what are those other more established players there? The Matthews, the Marners, the Nylanders. What are they prepared to do to step up? Because Tavares, he's mature. He's the captain. He can lead the way. But those three guys, Matthews, Marner, Nylander, 
if they don't start aiming up, I just wonder how long it is until Kyle Dubas gets his marching orders or gets an order from on high to ship one of them out to make a point. We're going to move on now over to the Vancouver um, Canucks. Braden Holtby and, and Nate Schmidt in Jeremy. Again, there, there are a few changes here. Jacob Markstrom is going to be a big departure for them, along with Tyler uh, Toffoli. But what, this is a team that's really been in purgatory for the last few seasons. Yeah, but they've got their goalie, Braden Holtby, and they have their superstar in Peterson and Brock Besser. So, and they have also Quinn Hughes on the back end. So it looks like they're just trying to build around their young core and, and give them free reigns and show some fun hockey throughout the next few years. I think they go to the playoffs. Is this the year they break out of purgatory, is it? Oh, absolutely. I think it is. I'd be interested to see if Jeremy thinks likewise. No, I, I also believe that. And we finish up with the Winnipeg Jets. Very quiet uh, on the trade front, Keith. They needed some reinforcements on defense because they went from having one of the most impressive blue lines to basically just carving it up for parts. And I don't understand what they were thinking there. Kevin Chevel day off. I don't know what he was trying to get at. Lucas Fieser comes in. Um, yeah, apparently he's gone straight back out again. Not sure what the story is there, but we have to chase that up. Uh, last I heard, he was going in and then going straight out, whether he was being flipped or moved or what the story was. Paul Sassny is going to be a very useful addition at centre. The big story in Winnipeg this year is going to be the Patrick Line story, whether he decides to stay in Winnipeg or whether he actually gets moved on. Because at the moment, Patrick Line, he's an elite scoring winger. He wants out of Winnipeg because he wants to go to a bigger market. Does he stay? Does he go? Is he happy there? If Stastny starts feeding him on the second line, and Line A looks like he's going to line up for about 30 goals in a 56-game season, there is going to be all sorts of bidding for Patrick Line A. And Winnipeg could really form a dynasty out of moving a player that they thought they might have been building around long-term. Very quick prediction for the North Division. I take it that Vancouver, you've got, the, you've got them marked in. Who are the other three teams? Uh, Vancouver, I think Toronto finishes on top of the division at the end of the regular season, goes down in the first round, and I think you've got Calgary and Edmonton in there as well. Yeah, I'm about the same. I think Vancouver, Toronto, uh, maybe even Ottawa and Calgary. Yeah, did you hear that? He, he said, my Senators rebuilding are going to beat your Montreal Canadiens to the playoffs. How do you feel, Bull? I can't wait for you to be proven so, so wrong. <laughs> Let's go, let's go very quickly to the West Division because when you actually look at it, there's not a lot that's actually occurred. Um, Anaheim, Arizona, the LA Kings, all very quiet, even Colorado to a certain extent, very quiet on the, uh, the trade front. But to me, the big focus here, Keith, is what's been going on with St. Louis and Minnesota. I'd go you one further. I think the big story has been Vegas picking up Alex Petrangelo and shipping out Nate Schmidt to make way. They've got a few bit players. Derek Engelin retired. John Merrill, Nick Cousins were sort of bit players. Paul Stastny was a useful player, but they shipped him out to try and make some room. Moving Nate Schmidt to Vancouver was what they needed to do to get Alex Petrangelo in. Vegas are loading up. I think this is a race in two. And it's interesting to say that about St. Louis, given that they're only a couple of years removed from a Stanley Cup. And they brought in Tory Krug to fill that Petrangelo hole as well. But given that they've lost Bo Meester, Petrangelo's gone as well. Krug won't, won't fill everything that was left there. Troy Brower lose, losing him loses a bit of the sandpaper. I think this is a race in two between Vegas and Colorado. 
And then when you look at the other side, Jeremy, looking at Minnesota and San Jose, yeah, real some real questions about how they're gonna how they're gonna um, handle the the move around. And yeah, Cam Talbot and Nick uh, Bonino for um, Minnesota coming in, along with Patrick Marleau for uh, to San Jose. Can they set themselves up this year, or do you think it's going to be a two-horse race and it really doesn't matter who else is going to be coming in from the West Division? I think it's going to be another average purgatory season for Minnesota. And uh, San Jose, um, I think they're also going to be about average with all the players that they shipped out. So do you think Devin Dubnik is going to stabilise them? Because Martin Jones, we know all the stories about Martin Jones, the referee. Martin Jones, the goaltender, was almost as spectacular a a tyre fire. I believe so. What my, my take is, do you think it's a race in two Vegas and Colorado? Do you think St. Louis have a real shot at upsetting them, or do you think it just comes down to those two? I believe Vegas is always the top pick in that battle. So we're tipping at this point St. Louis and Vegas definitely, maybe Colorado, but then it doesn't really matter who finishes fourth. I've got Vegas, Colorado, top two. St. Louis will finish third by the length of the straight. And then uh, Minnesota. I believe, I think Colorado will sneak in there. McKinnon won't let anything happen besides a successful season. Definitely Vegas, they're a hard team. St. Louis might sneak in. I'd also say L.A. as a surprise pick. Oof. Oof. Oof, indeed. Let's go to the last division. It is the uh, the Monster Mash itself, the Central Division. And, Keith, look, given how much is going on in this division, where do we start? Uh, Tampa's going to run the table because they ran the table last year. They yeah. thought they had salary cap problems. Nikita Kucherov now needs hip surgery, so his $9.5 million cap hit goes on long-term injured reserve. By the way, for people who are tuning in to hockey for the first time, if you have a long-term injury, you don't count against the cap if you get moved to that special list. So all the best fortune there for Tampa being able to solve their salary cap problems. Tampa runs the table. Dallas will finish second again. And then it's just, uh, you want to, you want to talk about an interesting setup. I think Detroit, they won't run last overall this year, but they will run last in the central division. I think Chicago misses out. I think they finish second last. Carolina, Columbus, Florida, Nashville, who fills out the top four? I'm going to move with Nashville. I think they've done well in adding Eric Haller. And I've got to go with Carolina because they've added Jesper Fast. I think that is an absolutely majestic move on their part to get Fast into that team. I think Columbus and Florida, I think they're going to be very hard to miss out. But that's going to be a tough one to get into other than your top two because Tampa's just going to run that division. Yeah, it's going to be a tough division because you've also got the likes of Dallas and Tampa at the top, along with Carolina. they got a lot of speed. Columbus has always got a well-rounded team, so it's going to be, it's going to be a hard-fought uh, division. But we are going to see a, an improvement from Detroit, who last year were quite simply disgraceful with 17 wins from their 71 matches. I did pick it, though. I told, yeah, you, you, I told you they finished last. To that extent, did you think? I didn't think they'd be quite that bad. I knew they'd be last and it would be not particularly close, but I didn't expect them to be that bad. They were they were just disgraceful at times. 
Well, ladies and gentlemen, with that, it is full time here on Splinters as the siren goes off. I want to thank our guests here tonight. First off, Jeremy Vasquez, thank you for joining us and hopefully we'll be able to join you during the course of the year for the AIHL with the Sydney Ice Dogs. Who knows, maybe we'll be back calling the, um, the, the Sydney Derby on ice. Thanks for having me. Um, absolutely. Um, anything else will be a pleasure. Keith Topolsky. Pleasure as always, Bull. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to hopefully a first overall pick for Ottawa Senators on the back of this season. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> This is Anthony the Bull Caruso, finally enjoying release from lockdown and enjoying our time here on Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, YouTube Music, TuneIn, Spotify and all good podcast sites. On behalf of Keith Topolsky and Jeremy Vasquez, this is Anthony the Bull Caruso. Run hard or run home. Good night. (laughs) 